they call it an open library, but again, that's just branding. It's not a library in any traditional sense of the word. It's not a library that, that uses public funds or university funds to support a particular community. It is just a website. That's Mary Rasenberger, the executive director of the Authors Guild and the Authors Guild Foundation. Now, we're all aware of internet piracy where your book is effectively stolen by mysterious forces on the dark net and then made available for free to anyone who wants it, after you give them your credit card, of course. But did you know that there is an established and very visible company that asserts it has the right, the legal right, to copy your book and make its digital file available to anyone who wants it for free in the name of providing a public service? Uh, well, we'll find out more about these folks and what they're up to and what the Authors Guild is doing about it. Mary Rassenberger provides a detailed and fascinating analysis of the issue and some solutions, plus a great and clear explanation of what exactly constitutes fair use. And that's all a part of this slightly extended episode. But first, welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm an independent publisher and your host, Peter Goodman of Stonebridge Press. This podcast is brought to you by IBPA, the Independent Book Publishers Association, which you can reach at ibpa-online.org. IBPA's mission is to help you become a better publisher through advocacy, education, and tools for success. If you're not a member, I hope you'll join and become part of the IBPA family. On the IBPA website, you can find out the many ways that IBPA is advocating for indie presses. And this includes lending support to the Authors Guild and some of its legal initiatives. And one of those initiatives is the subject of today's show. Uh, So today uh, we're talking with uh, Mary Rassenberger. She is the Executive Director of the Authors Guild and the Authors Guild Foundation. Uh, We last talked to Mary in October when we were talking about the CASE Act. uh, And maybe we'll get to some updates on that later if we have time. But today I wanted to talk about Uh, A very recent case that the Authors Guild was involved in, involving the Internet Library and its National Emergency Library. Uh, And that's just been in the news. So uh, tell us about it, Mary. What was going on with that? And welcome to the show. Okay. Uh, Thank you very much. It's great to be back um, on one of these podcasts. Um, So let me, I'll give you a little background. Um, The, the, Open Library um, is the predecessor of the National Emergency Library. NEL, as I call it, National Emergency Library for short, is basically a version of Open Library. Um, So the Open Library Program, um, under that Internet Archive, and this has been going on for almost a decade, but it got much bigger a few years ago, (coughs) which is when we started paying attention to it. So Internet Archive has solicited donations of print books, um, for instance, from libraries. Some libraries have given them entire collections. Then they scan those books. Um, Many of them are scanned in China. They must send them by boatload. Um, They've scanned millions of books already. And then they they, um, post those scans on their website. It's openlibrary.org. And... You, um, a user can set up as many accounts as they have emails. It's an email-based account system. Um, and uh, once you log in, you can borrow any of these books as e-books um, 
for up to two weeks. I mean, that's what the site says. You can also, though, read them online through a browser. You can just read them. And, and of course, if you borrow them, it's really easy to circumvent the 15-day limit. Um, you can download them to your computer. So we actually, long before National Emergency Library, we've been speaking out against open library um, for, for over two years already. Uh, many of our members have taken their books down from open library. Um, it is it is an illegal program, and, and I'll explain why. So the National Emergency Library, which they started with the pandemic, um, did away with the one the one control that they had, and that was the 15 day limit, or the presumed 15 day limit. Um, and by doing that, it re- it makes them identical to a piracy website, except for the branding. They call it an open library, but Again, that's just branding. It's not a library in any traditional sense of the word. It's not a library that that uses public funds or university funds to support a particular community. It is just a website. Um, what they post and they what they they copy these books. I should just make clear and post them for for display, reading, and downloading which is a distribution um, for anyone in the world, literally anyone in the world, and this is without authorization. So there's no permission from publishers, from authors, and there's no payment. It's essentially a way to get an ebook for free, um, you know, without buying one just by copying a, a print copy. And open library doesn't even they don't even buy the copies they just yeah, get them I mean, take a pause there yeah, go ahead so the um you have the internet archive that's the that's the that's the company yeah that's, that's, the, that's the a company and then they they had this uh they had an open library and they switched it to a national emergency library and now they've closed down the national emergency library partly as a result of the lawsuit that had been filed right and now they're back to the open library again so what are uh what do they gain from this? How do are they monetizing this, or is this just a strictly uh, beneficent act for some compassionate human beings? Well, so they they have a mission, um, and I, I just want to clarify before I go into that 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 it is they they believe they're acting in the public good, and I honestly think they believe they're acting in the public good. This is um, they get money from foundations. They get they're a very very well funded organization including for the Open Library Project. It's an extremely well-funded project. It is a project of Internet Archive. Internet Archive does, has other projects. Um, they started with the Wayback Machine, which is a way of capturing and preserving websites. And, you know, it's a wonderful service. So I, I don't want to in any way denigrate Internet Archive and their other services. It just you know they they got they've gotten a little carried away with with this particular um, program in my view open library and uh, they never shut down open library they just created this new version that had no controls on it at all where anybody could borrow not just borrow but anybody could any number of people could uh, read a book take a book out download it at any time with the open library it's it's not just limited to these loans, but presumably only one person can read a book at a time. Um, 
a particular copy of a book. And you'll find if you go on openlibrary.org for some popular commercial books, they might have as many as 50 copies. So that would mean, you know, you'd have 50 readers at a time. So there are some controls, and that's why um, they, they provide this under this theory called controlled digital lending, which I, I can explain in a minute. Um, but those controls, those limited controls, they took away for the National Emergency Library. And they did shut that down, as you said, a couple weeks early. They were sued by four publishers um, on June 1st, I believe it was, and um, they agreed to stop this, the newer version of Oakland Library, the National Emergency Library, which they'd always said they were going to um, bring down at the end of June. So let, let me uh, mention something about that, which uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought about when I was looking at it. The, the four publishers were the Hachette, HarperCollins, John Wiley, and Penguin Random House. And they're all huge publishers with a lot of resources. So when they threatened a lawsuit, um, the Internet Archive people must have looked at that and said, well, we can't afford that. We're just going to close it down and uh, transform into this other thing. But there was no legal ruling. Uh, involved in that. They basically just backed down uh, uh, under the threat of a lawsuit. So legally, the situation is the same as it was. Is that right? Correct. So to be clear, the publishers brought a lawsuit for the Open Library Project and the National Emergency Library. Okay. Two projects um, that are related because they share the same database. They're just, it's really two different brands for the same or two different portals for the same the same project. So open library continues. Now, you know, I, I am sure as a you know copyright litigator myself that or I assume that they closed it down early because they hired litigation counsel and the litigation counsel said you have no leg to stand on at all legally. There's not even a plausible legal argument to support the National Emergency Library. Um, because the individual uh, citizens do not get to change the copyright law in the case of an emergency, right? We we uh, leave changes in law to to Congress, <laughs> not to not to individuals, um, individual actors. So um, <clears throat> so I, I'm assuming that's why they shut down NEL. Open Library, which, as I said, has been around for a while, and we, the Authors Guild, have been trying to get publishers to bring a suit because simply because we can't, couldn't afford to, and um, and it was clear that by allowing this to continue, it was becoming people were starting to think it was it was legal. So um, I do want to just. If, if it's okay, go into sort of what the legal theory is between behind controlled digital lending and why we don't believe it has any valid basis. But at least, at least there's an my argument there. And that's, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, my, my understanding, just to define our terms, is controlled digital lending is if you have bought a book, then uh, you have the right, at least they have appropriated that right, uh, to copy it and make that book available to some digital lender or uh, digital borrower, uh, meaning that, say, the physical book could not circulate at the same time that the digital book is cir- circulating. If the digital book is then returned, then the physical book could be released. So basically, they buy one copy, but they can only distribute it in any format 
to a single person at a time. And I was reading some of the uh, the paperwork on that, and they are talking about it as if that is firmly grounded in uh, fair use doctrine, whatever that means. Um, and I guess uh, you're disputing that, that just because you buy a book doesn't mean that you can then copy it and make it available in electronic form. And that's what the uh, dispute is about, controlled digital lending versus um, the position of the author's guild. Yeah, and, and the publisher. So And the publishers, right. Con- control, control digital lending is it's basically an application of the fair use doctrine and copyright to justify indiscriminate, uh, unauthorized, free copying of books, distribution and display of books, okay? So, um, and, and I'll go through what, what the fair use analysis. So, it's just sort of, it's a made-up name for a, for a theory under fair use. Um, and in some case, like, in some cases, that would be justified. And I can give you a comp- couple of examples. One, for instance, a really, an older, rare kind of work where you can't find the right holder, I would advise a library, absolutely, you can copy that and, um, and provide it as an e-book. I mean, and that's not an uncommon practice for libraries. Um, I also want to note that, that this theory is supposed to apply to libraries. And again, I want to just reiterate that open library, just because it's called a library, it is not a library. It's a website. The, the way the fair use analysis and it is not accepted. There actually has been a case. It was uh, last December that squarely came out and said um, that this is not actually legal. Um, it was in the, the music case. It was, was a, a company that was um, doing resales of uh, digital music files. And the court said that you absolutely could not, um, could not do that. So, there is, so I'm going to go into some complex copyright doctrine, so stop me if you need to and, and bear with me. There is a provision in the Copyright Act called the um, First Sale Doctrine. In other countries, it's called the Right of Exhaustion. And it says that if you own a physical copy of, of, a, of a work, a copyrighted work, you can do whatever you want with that physical copy, okay? You can sell it. That's why we have a secondhand book market. You can give it away. You can destroy it if you want. Okay, that's you're allowed to do that. So there is a theory. Well, you should be able to do this for digital works too. Uh, the law is very clear, though, that you cannot do it for digital works. And why? Because when you are giving somebody your digital work or selling it or whatever we want to do with it, you are creating a copy. So it's not just a distribution. The first sale doctrine is an exception to the distribution right. Um, and the, um, you know, when you're, when you're scanning the work, that's making a copy. There's nothing in the law that says that that's okay. Um, so, so the, the control digital lending theory is saying, well, Okay, maybe not technically, that doesn't technically work under Section 109, but it should, so we're going to say it's fair use. So then you go to the fair use doctrine, which is a four-part test. 
and there's a test that should be done on a case-by-case basis. The problem with the controlled digital lending white paper and what Open Library does is that they apply it broadly to all work. So in fair use, you're saying what's, what's the purpose of the use, okay? Generally, courts look at whether it's transformative. Well, in this case, it's not transformative because it's for the exact same use that the original copies were, which is to allow readers to read them, right? The second factor is the nature of the work itself. Books, generally, there's all different kinds of books. That's sort of how creative it is. Is it on the scale of very creative, very protected, or fact? Books generally are very creative, whether they're fiction or nonfiction. They have a lot of intellectual uh, spark, creativity in them. The third factor is how much you take. In this case, it's the whole book. Ways against fair use. The last factor, you have to look at the value on the market or potential market if everyone is doing this, okay? So you don't just look at, oh, is Internet archives use harming, but what if everybody opens a website and does this? And that's really important because fair use cases basically create new rules of law. So if you say Internet Archive can do this, then everyone can. And you have to look at the impact of the market on that. So, so bear that in mind as I'm, as I'm talking about how, why we and the publishers object to this. So first, Internet Archive offers many highly commercial books. Okay, they like to say, oh, it's a lot of dusty musties, older books, but the fact is you go on there, there are a lot of bestsellers, perennial bestsellers there. There aren't brand new books, but very commercial books. Um, and they're still in print, still being sold by the publisher, including in ebook form. Publishers do sell ebooks or licensed ebooks to libraries. Generally speaking, they, they charge a little more for those library copies or they have a limited term on those library copies precisely because one library ebook can actually replace many more sales than one physical book because many more people are apt to borrow an ebook which just requires clicking on your, you know, a couple buttons on your computer. Um, so that's, that's within the marketplace. Um, and, um, but it's not just those highly commercial books that where you're competing with the library, the publisher's sales to libraries. You're also, um, impacting the, out, the older out of print books. And this is, this is really an author's guild issue. Um, one that's not addressed so much in the current lawsuit and we'd like to have it addressed because one of the promises of the digital age is the long tail. It's the author's ability to get their rights back from the publisher when the book goes out of print, um, you know, which today can mean that they're just not selling, they're not putting any effort into selling it. You know, it might be available as POD, but the publisher's not really doing anything with it. So the author gets their right back and they can republish it. They can, re, you know, sell it to another traditional publisher or publish it themselves. A lot of authors are doing that today. They can also repurpose a book, create a new book with it. Um, use it in articles, um, you know, put excerpts up on their website. They're all different ways to, to um, monetize their older works. And that income can be hugely important for authors. Um, so we have a real issue with the fact that Internet Archive is just putting all these books up on, on the Internet for anybody to read and telling all the libraries in the country, oh, just, you know, you can use these. If you have 
if a book is available in ebook form, you know, from dozens and dozens, hundreds or even hundreds of thousands of sources, you know, no one's going to buy that ebook. So, and these are going to be small markets, which are important to the author, but wouldn't necessarily be to a publisher. You are taking away that potential market from the author. So, uh, Mary, Mary, you're making a lot of uh, compelling points, and uh, I just think I'd like to move on a little bit, if if, if that's okay. Yeah, um, please, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one one thing to uh, from what you were saying, I, I mean, clearly, out of print does not necessarily mean out of copyright. If it's an older book, then it may very well be out of copyright. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, just because it's not selling or being published by a publisher, doesn't mean that the author, the original creator, doesn't continue to have rights to it. So is the Internet Archive asserting that out of print means out of copyright, or are they just kind of ignoring the whole copyright issue to begin with? Well, what they're saying, they understand the difference between out of copyright and out of print. Um, And obviously out of copyright books, they absolutely should be putting up online. But they don't understand that there's a value in books that, are out of print from the publisher's perspective. They don't even understand that there's a market out there for a self-published book. Oh, so they're, they're kind of ignoring the fourth item in your fair, listing of fair use considerations, the, exactly, the value. Exactly, exactly. So they don't, you know, I, and we, we think it's because, I mean, if you read the Control Digital Lending white paper, which is at www.controldigitallending.org, you will see that they that they have a very 20th century view of what publishing is, where it's a traditional publisher releasing a book, and then if it doesn't become a perennial, they stop doing anything with it. So they actually say that these older books, called them 20th century books, have no value. So they cannot be harmed. That, that, is, that is the view. And that's what we take massive issue with because from the author's perspective, even if a publisher isn't publishing it anymore, that book still has tremendous value to the author because they can do many different things with it. Right. That, seems, that certainly seems clear to me as a publisher. Um, but there has been no legal case, case brought, so there's been no decision. Where do things stand? Uh, and you're, you're marshalling your forces, but is there a lawsuit in the offing? Where, where do you expect this to go? Uh, well, so the publisher's lawsuit is ongoing. Again, they sued, the four publishers sued for both Open Library and um, NEL. So, and that suit, that's what Open Library relies on is this controlled digital lending theory. You know, when we first caught wind of what they were doing, we called them up and we're like, what, what is this? And they said, oh, yeah, now it's all legal. And we honestly thought that, that it was based on what they, they said this. They cared about authors. But then they came out later with this paper and we realized that's what they're, that's what they're relying on is saying everything they do is their use. Um, so, you know, I think... Um, uh, the, the lawsuit will continue, and this will be decided. As I said, there was a case last, uh, I think it was December, Redigi, um, that clear in the Second Circuit said that, um, for, at least for music, this argument uh, that uh, you could get to a digital first sale doctrine through fair use just uh, what did not fly. Um, and it's the exact same argument here. Um, so I don't see how um, 
uh, you know, the, the publishers could lose this case. So I think we will see a decision. Um, it could go on for a while. I, you know, I imagine there will be appeals. Um, so we may not get a final, final decision for, for quite some time. Um, but I don't think this is a very particularly fuzzy area of the law. Now, I know many, the, the proponents of controlled digital lending, and there aren't that many of them that believe that controlled digital lending should apply to, you know, even in-commerce works, but they're very vocal. Um, they do really believe it's fair use. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, if if uh, publishers want to um, uh, keep abreast of this, uh, is there information on the Authors Guild website, the links that they could follow to find out more? Absolutely. So let me tell you where we are in the lawsuit. Is The complaint was filed on June 1st, as I said. Um, the answer is due probably... Um, gosh, I should know this, but in a, in a week or two, shortly. So either they'll file an answer or a motion to dismiss, um, and then, then the case will continue. The um, publishers will go for a preliminary injunction at some point, um, and so there could be a decision with on the prelim, preliminary injunction um, because the courts do look at the merits, likelihood of success on the merits when they review a, uh, whether they're going to enjoin something preliminarily, which basically means before a final decision. It says, we'll enjoin this while we're still litigating. Um, so, so there's that. Um, but I, I do just want to go on to one more thing before we're done because, you know, the Authors Guild does not oppose this kind of digital library. Um, we are all in favor of it, and we have worked really hard on trying to create legal license regimes to allow exactly this kind of thing, because there, there actually is a problem, um, and that is that um, there are these books that are still in copyright. They're largely 20th century. They were never Create, they were never made available as ebooks. They're not being licensed by publishers to libraries as ebooks, um, and they're they're stuck in the stacks. Um, researchers, students, uh, they don't go to the stacks anymore. So we are very concerned that if the authors don't bring these books back themselves and do something with them, that this knowledge, this literature, will be lost. So we need to get we need to get these books out of the stacks, right? But there are so many ways to do this legally. And if I have Doug, Tom, just sort of list a couple of the efforts that we're working on. Uh, sure. Every other country in the world, pretty not every country, but every um, developed country, there is a something called the public lending right and public lending systems, or also called PLR, where every time a book is borrowed from a library. Um, a small, very small fee is paid to the author and sometimes the publisher too. Um, those are not paid by the library. They're paid out of the government fund. And um, from the you know, sort of government federal budget perspective, it's very little money. I think in Canada, uh, it comes to about $6 million a year. Um, maybe a little less. That might be the UK. But um, it's not a huge amount of money. And, and we are advocating for something like that in the U.S. We wouldn't call it a public lending right here because we don't really have that notion in our law, but a, a library endowment where it would be federal funds to give authors a little, just a little fee every time their books are borrowed. Um, and this is to address the fact that, you know, library use 
well, you know, our library system in the country is wonderful. It does, you know, have the potential to substitute for purchases. So just a small amount. And it's just, it's, you know, authors are earning so little today. Um, the mean income we found in our 2018 survey um, was uh, just 20000 20, a year from all writing income for full-time authors. So they really need additional support because the problem is once authors are earning too little money, they have to take on other work, right? Or they, they give up writing altogether, they write less. And that's not something I think any of us want for, you know, particularly for our great writers in this country. Um, so, so that there's the public lending rate. The second one is um, that the, uh, the Copyright Office did a request for a pilot um, request for proposals for a pilot for an extended collective license. And we think there is a role for collective licensing here where the, the jointly um, authors would engage in licensing to libraries. And that system could, could easily be set up. Um, and then the last one is we have a database, uh, actually, that we've created using the Library of Congress data that's searchable by author. And it allows... Um, it's not done yet. We need a little more funding, but it would allow anyone, including libraries, to look up every book and figure out who the right center is easily and under what terms they would license the book to libraries um, with incentives to keep that price very low and in some cases even free, such as when the library says, oh, we'll create the ebook and send it back to you. So, um, you know, so we do, we hope others will join in these initiatives. We haven't gotten a lot of support from the broader community for this. Um, in fact, we, we asked for a grant from a major foundation and, and they said there were complicated copyright issues and they funded open library instead, which was kind of odd because that's where the, that's right, where the right, complicated right. copyright issues are. But so, you know, we're hoping that particularly if there's a decision in this case, we can then get libraries to say, okay, can we just please do this legally? It's not going to be expensive, but it, you know, in a way that, that respects authors and publishers. And one, one final thing here is uh, Internet Archive is not the only uh, offender in this area, right? There are other people who are uh, maybe doing the same thing or looking carefully at this and hoping that it goes, uh, say, in Internet Archive's favor and then everything would open up. And be even worse than it is now. Right. So there are. I will say that the the longer Internet Archive was doing this without a lawsuit, the more people started thinking, "Oh, no one's been no one sued yet, so I guess it's okay." But nobody's doing what the, the what Open Library is doing. First of all, they they are libraries. The others are real libraries. They are either public library systems or academic libraries, um, and the the state-owned uh, university libraries are probably at the forefront of this because they're protected by server community. Um, you know, they're pushing the law a little bit. But what mainly what libraries are using it for is older work that um, are not commercial. And um, and I, I agree that particularly when you can't find a rights holder, um, that it would be fair use for an older work out of commerce, been out of commerce for a long time, rights holder not findable. So there there are a number of libraries using fair use, or you can call it controlled digital lending in that sense. Um, and for other kind of older, unique type works, 
but um, not to just replace their ebook purchases. I, I haven't seen that yet. So, so, so this issue is actually fairly, fairly nuanced. You're not suggesting mm-hmm. that the entire thing be uh, ruled illegal. That there are many, many cases where digital lending is very appropriate. Copying is very appropriate. Uh, for older work, absolutely. Uh, well, I would suggest then that uh, you know, for people to find out more, to certainly go to the Authors Guild, join the Authors Guild, uh, at least follow their links and see what's happening. I did also want uh, Mary to ask you a little bit, uh, and we don't have much time, so uh, th- this will just have to be very brief. Last October, we talked about the Case Act. That was about the um, you know being being able to process um, copyright uh, violations a lot easier than than is currently the case. Do you have any updates on on what's happened since October? Yes, yes. Thanks for asking about that. So, you know, we got the one, it sailed through the House, um, that was last fall, and then it went over to the Senate where it sailed through the Judiciary Committee. Senator Wadden from Oregon put a hold on it, and we have been working, well, the the broader uh, group coalition of organizations supporting the Case Act has been negotiating with Wadden's staff to address their concerns. And um, since we don't have much time, I won't go into it in detail, but there are, I think, some modifications going to be made. And um, we are really, you know, hoping that that we can get Wadden and his staffers to, to, you know, be a little more reasonable about what they're asking and understand just how important this legislation is and to let it go through. Um, My understanding is that... um, McConnell won't let it go to the floor with anybody having a hold on it. That's sort of generally um, his stance. Um, and right now, of course, the Senate is very focused on a lot of other very important legislation. Um, but we do expect it to move forward um, this summer. Um, you know, knock on wood. But we're, we're so close. Well, good. Uh, well, we'll keep an eye on that, too. And again, that uh, you can find information about that on Authors Guild. Uh, we've been talking with Mary Rassenberger, the Executive Director of the Authors Guild, who is a wealth of information and legal analysis about all these issues affecting publishers and copyright, etc. And uh, Mary, we hope to talk to you again sometime in six or seven months in the future, see where all this has played out. Thanks again for talking to us. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Mary Rassenberger of the Authors Guild for taking so much time to walk us through the details of the case against the Internet Archive, the National Emergency Library, and the Open Library, all of which are very scary from the authors' and publishers' perspectives. Now, revenue is hard enough to come by in this business for everyone. It's one thing if you, as a kind-hearted and compassionate author or publisher, want to give away your work for free, good for you. But it's really quite another to have some entity come along and simply assert that they have the right to steal your stuff and give it away. I mean, they don't even send you a tax form to tell you how much they've taken from you so you can at least claim it as deduction as a charitable donation. So keep an eye out on the Authors Guild and on IBPA's websites for updates. At some point, you may be asked to write a letter or sign a petition in support, and I hope you'll step up. There's really a lot at stake here. Once the open library door is open, you can bet there'll be lots of others jumping in to call charity, what is in fact larceny. In the meantime, let me hear from you at at Peter Goodman or at IBPA on Twitter. Uh, Be sure to send me your suggestions for topics for future broadcasts. And as always, check out IBPA and all the membership benefits and resources at ibpa-online.org. I'm Peter Goodman, and as my bosses in Japan used to say, 
began before there was any kind of pandemic, let's have publishing fun. <laughs>